Good morning, how y'all doing? I challenge you to drink two liters of water before worship and hold it for <laughs> for the morning. You know, <laughs> so thank you for my little break, Caitlin. <laughs> you stalled well. Well, how's everybody doing? Good, good. This morning we're going to start something that is not really a series, uh, just kind of some standalone messages that I'll do from time to time. And it's called a biblical story or a Bible story. One of the things that we're really losing in this day and age is the Bible stories. In fact, sometimes when I hear people tell me the stories, they may have the main characters right, they may even have the setting right, but they have the story so wrong and the, and the point of the story uh, so confused that this is one thing we can't forget, one thing that I feel is one of my personal problems to solve. Uh, to keep these stories at the forefront. And what I hope to do is talk about stories that you haven't heard before, maybe stories that you don't often hear, don't often read. Uh, I, like you, watch a ma- many of the TV preachers. And, you know, really the TV preachers kind of preach on a lot of the same verses, with the exception of David Jeremiah. Uh, they <laughs> he goes through the whole book, and that's wonderful. But a lot of the rest of them, you know, it's it's very similar verses uh, there's, there's just common ones we all know, and they preach very well, and that's why they're worthy of TV, but uh, they're all worthy of TV. But what I'd like to do is kind of find some of the more hidden gems that we don't often talk about. Because in the Bible, there's really something for everyone. I always tell that. You know, in the Bible, there's something for everyone. There's no person where the Bible's completely irrelevant to. In fact, it's relevant in many ways to all walks of life in every verse. If you're a mother-in-law, you know, then Naomi, who's found in the book of Ruth, would be your guide. Uh, if you're into Duck Dynasty, well, it's, it's hard not to imagine John the Baptist hanging out with Uncle Cy, you know. And so it's, uh, if, if you're a single mom, then Hagar. Hagar is a wonderful story for you. And if you're here and you're one of those people who have made the mistake of mistakes then it's hard not to see King David, uh, who both committed adultery and a murderous cover-up, and to read the Psalms and not see how he found his way back to God. So throughout the year, uh, you know, as we're in between series or whatever, just when I feel like we we need to get a good one of these, uh, we're going to go back to just a good old-fashioned Bible story. And God encourages us to find our story in their story. And I'm going to try to show you this morning how I did that for me with this story. Hopefully, me finding myself in it will be something that you can relate to and you'll find yourself in this story as well. Because even though these people lived thousands of years ago, you know, long before Wi-Fi, long before air conditioning, which I thank God every day for, Long before NFL Sunday ticket, you can watch every NFL game in one Sunday. (laughs) Long before all of these wonderful things, these people lived and died in much of the same circumstances that we have. And the point is, if God came through for them, then he'll come through for you. And what does the story teach us? How God came through. And so, one of the most difficult questions that people often ask me is, Tom, why can life sometimes be so hard, so difficult? I had a friend who felt by God to go on a diet 
to lose weight, you know? I don't think you need to be called by God for that. You know, if you need to lose weight, you need to lose weight. I myself put myself in that category. So he, he felt, you know, the, called by God to lose weight. He took a way to work that took him by a local donut shop in Tacoma. And so he said, one of the ways that I'm going to, you know, honor God is I'm going to take a different route to work. It's a little bit longer route, but I'm still going to take a different route to work. Well, <laughs> I'm not kidding, but the very next week, they opened up Washington State's very first Krispy Kreme Donuts in Tacoma, and it was right on his new route to work, you know, and so I looked at him, and I said, man, what did you do? What did you, he said, I told God, I'm going to eat now and repent later, you know, I mean, it was just, it was just, it's, I couldn't pass up a Krispy Kreme Donut, you know, and so... I mean, it's, it's hard. You know, a young couple moves across the country to take over pastoring a church. And from the moment they get there, things fell apart. They couldn't bear the, pay the bills. He could barely do the church and work an outside job. She was working full-time just to make ends meet. Kids hadn't had clothes in over a year. What happened? Did they make a mistake? Another friend of mine was excited to get his church uh, growing and going again. He wanted to take advantage of their storefront lot uh, right, in the, right in the heart of town. You know, they had a nice storefront lot. And one day he opened the door and he found that the floor of his church had sunk three feet into a sinkhole. That was Pastor Mark in Taft. <laughs> I was hoping he was here so I could tell on him, you know. But, but uh, yeah, oh, there he is, yeah. <laughs> Different, that's it. <yeah. laughs> So uh, how would you like to have a, a wonderful, beautiful church on a wonderful storefront, and you open the door, and it's sunk three feet into the ground, you know? I mean, uh, we have this great building, and the earth opens up and swallows it. I mean, why does God make it so hard? When it seems like when you're doing God's will, it ought to be easy. Amen? Well, in order to answer that question, I'd like to take a little bit of a biblical journey into the story of David. Many people know the story of David. He was one of the most popular ancient kings in Israel. Uh, he is the direct sort of great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus uh, up down the line. So he's a very important person in biblical history. And he was anointed to become king. The only problem was there was already a king. <laughs> there was already a family line that was going to receive the kingdom, and David wasn't it. And yet God anointed David to be king. And so how does something happen that logically shouldn't happen? You know, How does David become king when somebody else is king? And you'll find the story in 2 Samuel chapters 2 and 3. Again, a part of the Bible not a lot of people read or they sort of gloss over you know, to get to the, to the good parts, so to say, or what people tell me. And so, and the reality of the Bible is this. Nobody had it easy. Nobody has it easy. If you're looking for a biblical character that just had it so easy, never had any troubles, never had any problems, then you're not reading the Bible. <laughs> you might be reading, you know, Thomas Jefferson's version of the Bible, but you're not reading the Bible. So, uh, let's, again, uh, let's go ahead and head to the, the story here. And I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you real quick, when we do these biblical stories, I'll have a few verses, but I'm not, I'm not going to read two chapters. Uh, just trust me, I've read it, so the paraphrase I give you is 
based on the Bible. <laughs> so Israel has a king. His name is Saul. He's Israel's first king. But he did not live up to expectations. And in fact, he horrifically kind of disobeys God at specific times and is not a man after God's own heart. So the people chose Saul. Uh, they kind of chose him and uh, went with him. But really, God had chosen David. Uh, and selected him. Now, when God selected David, he would eventually make a covenant with him, and he would say to David, you will never fail to have an heir on the throne. How God fulfilled that promise is through Jesus. Jesus will be king of the world forever, all right? If you're wondering who's going to rule eternity, one word, one name, Jesus, right? That's why we worship him now. He's already our king, and he will be our king forever. He is one of David's descendants. Now, many years pass since this happens, and Saul eventually dies in battle. Now, you would think that, okay, Saul's dead. David's been anointed to be king. This is a no-brainer, right? David will just be king, and, you know, we'll just kind of forget. We'll scratch out the years of Saul, and we'll get moving on, right? That's how a lot of us would probably think. But here's the problem. Saul had many followers, lots of them. After all, he was the only king they had ever known. And even though Saul came to a bad end, there were thousands upon thousands who mourned his death, and they rallied to his sons, not to David. So David and God have a real problem. At the age of 30, this is David was 30 now when Saul dies, he seems fully ready to take over, right? He's defeated Goliath. He's kind of the great hero of the nation. He's kind of the great general of the nation. He's the man who not only fights good, but he loves God. I mean, he's just the Renaissance Jewish man. He's got it all. He's, he can write poetry. He can fight. He can pray. He can, he can do it all. I mean, David is just, he seems poised on the brink of destiny. And it really should have been easy. He had the blessings of the church. He really was kind of already the ruler, de facto ruler of Judah, you know, that, that big landmass to the south. And so, you know, David's probably thinking this should be easy peasy. I mean, it's God's will, right? How many of us, we determine God's will by how easy it is? You know, the easier it is, ah, oh, that must be God's will, you know? And so, but it doesn't always work that way. In fact, seven more years would pass and they would be bloody years before David becomes king. Now, there are five people that we essentially need to meet and know in this story. And I'm going to go ahead and put them up on the screen for you, all right? The place is ancient Israel, all right? The people are Saul. Saul is the former king. He's now dead, so he's left a vacancy, and nature abhors a vacuum. And so one of his sons, Ishbosheth. Uh, tries to take up the throne. David is God's man to be king. God has anointed David to be king. Joab and Abner are the opposing generals. Joab is David's general, David's fighting man. Abner is Saul's and Ishbosheth's fighting man. So they're going to come together eventually, obviously, and they're going to duke it out. Now, how does David fulfill his call and become king when nobody wants it, save maybe the people of Judah? 2 Samuel 3, 1 begins this way. And the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. Now, as I read this passage, one question comes to mind, and this just flew out at me. 
why does David have to fight for what God has already promised him? You ever think about that? You ever have that in your own life? Make, make this story your story. God, I know you have this for me. I know you've promised this for me. Why do I have to fight for it so hard? That's a big answer. But I can tell you at the outset of this message, David had to fight for it too. And I don't mean just the internal fight that we all often go through. He literally had to fight for it. God, why this civil war if David was really God's man to be king? And so I asked myself, was there still sin in David's life? Was there sin? Is there sin in my life? Maybe that's why I don't have the promise. Am I some sort of reject? Am I so spiritually inept I can't do it? Was he on the wrong path? Was he on the wrong call? Was he out of God's will? And if you read the scriptures, the resounding answer is no to all of them. This has nothing to do with sin. It has nothing to do with being out of God's will. David is exactly where God wants him, and yet still he has to fight for the promise. If you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and flip it over. And this is point number one. Sometimes we have to fight for God's promises. Sometimes we have to fight for God's promises. David is probably thinking, I'm ready. I already have Judah's support. They're one of the strongest tribes. I already beat Goliath. What more is God waiting for? I can tell you right now, don't ever ask God that question. <laughs> when you're like, God, what more are you waiting for? I'm ready. He will answer that question, and you may not like the answer, you know? God, what more are you wait, waiting for? I want to get married. God, what more are you waiting for? I want to raise. God, what more are you waiting for? I want kids. God, what more are you waiting for? I want, you know, whatever comes next. But know this. Whatever preparation or waiting period God has for you, it's for you, not against you. It's for you. I remember once I had met a man who was married for the first time at 42 and uh and he said he he was older so he was about maybe 62 when i was talking to him first time he got married 42 62 and and uh they had cakes quick because she was over 35 and i guess it gets more dangerous that way so anyway long story short he had said i wasn't ready in fact, he had said a phrase that I'd only heard one other person in this church ever say, and it was Dan Brazier. He said, I had to get the stupid out of me, and it took 42 years to get it out of me. <laughs> you know? But he said, I'd rather have a shorter marriage and a better marriage because I, I waited and was prepared than to have tried to marry the same girl 20 years earlier and I wasn't ready. It would have been a disaster. I might even be divorced today. So... I thought that was always an interesting story, the way he put that. You know, I'd, I'd rather have less time but prepared and ready to enjoy what God has for me than just try to get it all at once and make it, you know, for a longer period. So David is definitely ready to be king, but the people are not yet ready to receive him as king. Inevitably, a civil war breaks out, and it's Joab and Abner who fight. And I'll just, again, I'm paraphrasing this. There's a battle. Joab, David's man, Abner, Saul's man, or Ishbosheth's man, they fight, and there's a very decisive victory for who? Anybody want to take a guess? 
Joab, right? Joab wins by a margin of 20 to 1, meaning he killed 20 of Saul's soldiers at the loss of one of his. So this is a resounding rout, all right? This is a very one-sided victory, and the people who are in Saul's camp, they know it and they see it. And so God was demonstrating that David was his man by first giving him overwhelming victory on the battlefield. But here's the thing, and here's the point I want to make drive home. Just because you win the fight doesn't mean that you automatically have God's blessing, that you're prepared, or that God is with you in the next step. All right? Just because you win a fight at work, just because you win a fight in your marriage, just because you win a fight with your kids, just because you win a fight with yourself. I fight with myself all the time, you know? Sometimes good Toms win, sometimes bad Tom wins. But, you know, we, we fight together. You know, it's a good fight. I fought the good fight of faith. But sometimes just because you win the fight doesn't mean that God is through with you yet. Doesn't mean that you've how, somehow arrived. Because really, David's whole future, David's whole destiny, and all of our salvation hinges on point number two. One of the biggest sermon points I've ever shared is coming up right now. There it is. God tests us on how we treat our enemies. So Abner walks home from the battle, and Abner's starting to put two and two together. Samuel anointed David. David beats Goliath. David is the commanding general. David has now got six wives and 30 kids. David, which was a sign in their culture of blessing you know Dave, he's beginning to go home and go wait a minute wait a minute i think there might be something to this david thing and so abner goes over to david and asks for forgiveness and asks david hey what happened here what's going on we felt like we were fighting for the lord but now we feel like we're fighting against the lord that the lord's with you and if you're willing i will come over and ally myself and all my troops in your camp. The house of Saul will be left with nothing, and, you will, and you'll be king. Now, here's the interesting thing. Most kings of David's era would have just killed them on the spot. That would have been the way to not only demonstrate your power, but to put strike fear in the hearts of everybody, to sort of rule by control, right? David does something that very few of any kings of his era do. David forgives him. David pardons his family. And in welcoming Abner, David's heart was open for all to see. You see, if David knew one thing, he knew this. He knew forgiveness. He knew humility. He knew reconciliation. David knew that control... And conquering does not build trust. Honesty, forgiveness, and compassion is what builds trust. God gave David the chance to win the hearts and minds of the people of ancient Israel by loving, accepting, and forgiving his enemy. And that is exactly what Jesus does with us. He loves you, he accepts you, and he forgives you just as David forgave Abner. 
So this is great. And we're about to have a ceremony. We're about to declare peace, but it wouldn't be a fun story if there wasn't some sort of hitch, all right? In the battle between Joab and Abner, Joab's brother, he starts feeling strong, right? I mean, he's, he's you know, he's just feeling like, man, I'm this great warrior. I'm going to show everybody how tough I am. So he goes after Abner. Abner says, don't do this, all right? The battle is over. We're retreating. I, I don't want to fight you, you know? Abner's trying to let it go. But Joab's brother, you know, he's just you know, got a sword out. He's trying to kill him. So finally, in self-defense, Abner has to kill Joab's brother. And Joab never forgot it. What David did in forgiving, Joab never did. Joab, in revenge, assassinates Abner. And now the balance of the whole people are, are what's going to happen next. Is David going to keep following God with love, acceptance, and forgiveness? Or is he going to back his general, as most kings of his era would? David follows God. I'll tell you what he does, and you'll see it in the slides. First of all, he publicly denounces and curses Joab. He says, what Joab did, I stand apart from, and I curse him for doing it. That's murder. Second, he declares a period of public mourning. We are going to mourn Abner because Abner thought what he was doing, he was doing for God. Third, he composes a lament. It's kind of nice to have a president who can also write poetry, I mean a king in their, uh, king in their uh, example, who can also write poetry. David writes a psalm for Abner. Fourth, he enters a personal fast. He fasts for Abner over Abner's death. And then finally, he speaks publicly of his personal anguish over what happened to Abner. The way a man responds in a time of crisis tells you a great deal about his character. And until you face a crisis and trust God all the way through it, you do not know who you really are in Christ. And here's the kicker. Nobody else knows who you really are either. How did the people respond to David's humility? Which could have been seen as a sign of weakness. Says this in 2 Samuel 3.36. All the people took note of what David had did and they were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. This may seem small to you. But it was huge for the people of Israel. He had gained something that could only be earned. He gained trust. And by gaining their trust, he didn't have to conquer or control to become king. They gave him the right to be their king. David became king because he forgave Abner and then when his best general took revenge on Abner, he still stood with Abner. Why? Because God loved Abner. God was leading Abner to his man. God loved the house of Saul. He loved the soldiers of Saul. Thankfully, in the 
first battle of the Civil War, the final battle of that Civil War, only a few hundred men died rather than hundreds of thousands. This is a hard point to accept. God loves the people you struggle with. God loves your enemies. God wants to see your enemies come to Him. God wants to see the fight over. God wants to see you humble yourself with your enemies. God wants to see your enemy humble themselves with you. And God wants to see all of this give glory to Him. This is what David did. And when David did it, God made it public so that everybody could recognize it. It wasn't like, well, I'm a good man, but nobody knows. God made it so that the whole nation saw David's true heart. And in doing so, he earned the one thing that you cannot take from someone. It can only be given, and that is trust. Amen? Number three, faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. I said this point a few weeks ago, and it just fit again so well here. Faith is believing in advance what only may make sense in reverse. Strange as it may seem to us, David needed those seven additional years to become king, and he needed this experience with Abner in order to show the people he was ready to be king. Yes, obviously it's sad that Abner had to die in order to prove that point. But the fact of the matter is, for David, faith didn't make sense on day one. You can write that in your sheet. Faith never makes sense on day one. On day one of faith, it just doesn't, it may not make sense. You do it anyway. Faith not, may not make sense on day 1,000 either. In fact, right now, today, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. We are battling for the future of our country, but by faith, I believe our country has a glorious future. I think there's a great renewal coming. I think there's going to be a time of joy and happiness, whether that's tied to economic prosperity or not. I don't know. I don't even think I care. I'd rather just have the joy. Amen? But true God-honoring faith looks at the perplexities of life and says, I can't see any reason for this. I can't see any reason for this. One day, I'm going to look back. And I'm going to say, God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. I'd never want to go through it again. But I'm sure glad he brought me through it the first time. Amen? And then number four. God, vind God vindicates us slowly and tests us continually in order to surprise us occasionally and bless us openly. From one of my podcasts I listened to, Pastor Ray from back in Illinois, he, he, had, that ver he had that quote, and he put it to this passage with David. God vindicates us slowly and tests us continually in order to surprise us occasionally and bless us openly. Some of you, some of us, we're in the vindication process right now. You're in the middle of a difficult time, but it's God's intention to ultimately display the rightness of your cause. Some of you are being tested. You need to know what you're made of. More importantly, others 
need to know what you're made of. Sometimes you'll just get a good old-fashioned surprise because you know what? God knows we need them. God knows that in the midst of the process of vindication and God knows that in the midst of testing, sometimes we just need a good old-fashioned surprise that brings us joy, that brings us peace. And you're going to get those as well. But the whole point is that God wants to bless us openly so that everybody around us will give glory to God for the blessings. David's story of rising to be king really foreshadows the same process of his descendant, Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you a verse from the New Testament. I could tell you what 30 different theologians say about this verse. But I can tell you this right now. I don't know if we'll ever understand this verse this side of heaven. It's a verse that almost doesn't seem to make sense because we know who Jesus is. He wasn't just the son of Mary. He wasn't just the son of God. He is God. He is God. There is nothing Jesus does not know or cannot do. Now let me read you this verse. Hebrews 5.8 says this, that Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. What? Well, it's a head scratcher, isn't it? Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, we don't know, but perhaps part of this learning was you can know all you want about suffering, even if you have the divine mind. But until you're in flesh and bone and go through it, it's a whole different experience. Whatever it is, I'm going to tell you the reason why this verse is in the Bible. Because Jesus was modeling David. David learned obedience through all the suffering he went through. Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience through the suffering that he went through. The natural conclusion is this. If David had to learn obedience through suffering, if Jesus had to learn obedience through suffering, how much more do we learn obedience through suffering? If adversity was essential for the Son of God, then it's obviously essential for us. I saw this quote. I thought it was a good way to close. The road is hard and the journey is long. But God knows that. God made it that way. But for those of us who stay in the fight, for those of us who are willing to forgive our enemies, for those of us who walk by faith, there is a divinely made crown and an indescribable reward. It is unutterable. It is unthinkable. It is unimaginable. And Paul says it is unlawful to talk about how wonderful the reward is waiting for us at the end of that road. Be encouraged and look up for our redemption draws near. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Worship team, come forward. As we close today, I hope, first of all, you've been encouraged by this story. It's a Bible story. It's a story of, of David. It's a story of, uh, 
Jesus, it's our story. It's the story of the rise and fall, but it's also one in which we can apply right to our lives today. And think about it. What promise is God having you fight for today? What enemy is God asking you to treat as, as, uh, as David treated Abner? And by the way, we all have Joabs in our life. We have Joabs who are good friends who are going to expect us to back them when, we, when, we do, when they do the wrong thing. Would you be willing to publicly denounce them and actually write a poem against it? Because <laughs> that's what David did. Today I want you to think about this story and how you can make it your story. Because if God brought David through, he'll bring you as well. You might still be in the day where the faith is hard. But one day you're going to look back and say, ah, I see. I see what God was doing. I get it now. All right. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Amen?